In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, Pastor Trevor preached on the first part of Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus calls the twelve to be his disciples, who will become his apostles, those sent into the world. And there at the beginning of chapter 10, Matthew names all 12 of them. We don't very often find them all listed together, but Matthew here in, in chapter 10 identifies all of them. And Jesus says there in the beginning of chapter 10, I send you out with authority. Preach, heal the sick, cast out demons. You're going out with all kinds of power to tell the people about God's great love. Now, just imagine for a moment if you were one of those 12. The setting is early in the ministry of Jesus. They've just been all drafted to be on the team. And Jesus is preparing them and he's gonna spend these three years teaching them what it means to be a true disciple. So you're one of those. And you hear Jesus, your teacher, say to you, I'm going to send you into the world. And I'm going to give you power. You're going to have power to heal the sick. You're going to have power to raise the dead. You're going to have power to cast out demons. Wow. That feels pretty good. It's kind of overwhelming to think to have that kind of power, but it, it feels pretty good. What's it going to be like? And then Jesus says, but, big but, but before you go, realize it isn't going to be easy. Realize that you're going to be against all odds and people are going to reject you. People are going to chase you out of their towns. People are not going to be overly excited about having you come. Some people, that is. Why? Wouldn't you think that everybody would like to hear about Jesus? Wouldn't you think that everybody would like to hear the good news of God's love for them? But there's a catch. And the catch is that Jesus, through his, his own teaching, and then Jesus with his disciples, challenges authority. He challenges the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees. He threatens the popularity of those who were considered the leaders. And those, those disciples are gonna be in the, the shadow of Jesus, challenging those who challenged Jesus. Jesus brings into the world a new way of thinking. We saw it already earlier there in, when Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector in chapter 9, to be a follower. And, Jesus, and Matthew brings his friends, his fellow sinners and tax collectors, 
into his home to have dinner with Jesus, and the scribes and the Pharisees asked the disciples, why does your master eat with sinners, tax collectors? And so it's going to be for those disciples. Jesus challenges our way of thinking. And so for us, Jesus challenges our way of thinking. Jesus challenges the way of thinking in the community, the society around us. Our world, our little world of Orange County, but our world teaches us to thrive in competition, to be winners, not losers. Jesus teaches us about sacrifice for the sake of others. Our world teaches us about survival of the fittest. Jesus teaches us about surrender to those who are less. Our world teaches us about how much we should accumulate and how to accumulate more and more and more. And Jesus teaches us how to give it all away for those in need. It is in the challenging of the way we think and the way we act. And so too it was for those disciples as they were going to go out with all this power and all this authority, but they were going to be challenging the way people think and act. Far beyond their imagination, far beyond their understanding, for they had not seen yet all that they were going to see. And they had not learned yet all that they were going to learn, but it was going to be a real training. Jesus says a student is never above a master. They would witness the power of God working through Jesus. They would witness Jesus healing. They would witness Jesus raising the dead. They would witness Jesus demonstrating love. But they would also witness him being persecuted. They would witness him dying on a cross at the hands of those whose life he challenged. They would witness God's overwhelming love and God's overwhelming sacrifice for us. You know, we, we heard it there in Jeremiah, how it was for the prophets. And Jeremiah, in that first reading, really echoes what most of the prophets said at one time or another. Remember, prophets were sent by God to bring people back to God, to bring people back to faithfulness. And Jeremiah, as we heard in that first reading, cries out to God in agony. We hear it again. Jeremiah, who has been persecuted by those he's been trying to call to faithfulness. And Jeremiah says, Oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day. Everyone mocks me. 
For whenever I speak, I cry out and I shout, Violence and destruction! For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him, if I say I won't talk about God, if I say I won't do what God's called me to do, there is in my heart a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He concludes that prayer, that cry, with the words, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the land, from the hand of the evildoers. That's part of the struggle of faith, the struggle of being the people of God. We've been given the greatest gift in all the world. We've been given the gift of a God who loves us so much that he sends his own son to die on a cross for us, that we might be, given, be forgiven. We have been given the assurance that we can begin our worship as we did today by admitting that we don't always act like God's people, that we aren't always loving of one another, that we don't always care about other people but then to always hear that reassuring word that we are forgiven. The greatest gift the world would ever know. And yet to realize that the church has, a, has never gone without its struggles. The church, the people of God, have never gone without the challenges from outside. We read, for example, the seven mighty churches of God that are mentioned in Revelation. The seven mighty churches that John talks about, Ephesus, Galatia, and the like. None of them exist today. They're all but ruins. Wars have been fought through the centuries in the defense of faith. Wars have been fought to try to force people into believing in Jesus. It was Constantine in the third century who was the emperor who became Christian and demanded all the people of the empire were to be baptized and the whole empire would become Christian. Now did that mean they all believed in Jesus? No, but they've been baptized and they became a Christian nation. From 1096, right after the separation of the Christian church from the Roman church and the Orthodox church, from 1096 to 1291, there were eight crusades fought by Christians, empowered by the papacy, funded by the church. Eight crusades Christians fighting against Muslims for possession of holy places that were sacred to both. The power of God working in the lives of people isn't always received without opposition. So why are we surprised today in 2023 
Why are we surprised that the church is under attack? Why are we surprised that things that we proclaim are met with opposition? It was Peter who said the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he works in your life and he works in mine. There are times that we too find ourselves caught in that tension between the ways of the world and the ways of God. There are times that we too, like those disciples, realize that not everyone is going to love Jesus. But that doesn't mean we stop. And that doesn't mean that we give up. And that doesn't mean that we, we simply sit back and not do anything. Jesus ends that instruction to the disciples by saying, but don't be afraid. Don't worry. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet God knows when any one of them falls from the air. That's how much God loves you. And that's how much God loves me. But there's good news. It's not all gloom and doom. There's good news. Very interesting research has been done recently by the Barna Institute. The Barna Institute is, is an organization, a research organization that has provided for us in the church tremendous information. Worked very closely with Luthenauer Ministries these last couple of years to develop some powerful resources for families. But the Barna Research organization has done tremendous work. David Kinneman is the, the CEO of Barna, great young man. He's written a number of books. One of his early books, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons wrote a book entitled Unchristian, What the New Generation Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. And in his book on Christian, he has this quote from Larry Barber, who is an inner city pastor. I spent my life living and working in the urban centers of Philadelphia and Atlanta. It is not out of the ordinary to watch drug deals on church steps. The institution has made its own quiet and unspoken deal with the vendors who make their living there. People who most need the church are sitting outside waiting to feel worthy enough to come in. For the young who grew up on the streets, it's an age-old story. The drug kingpin knows their name, and the pastor does not. The teachers at school don't think they can learn, but they conquer the street classes just fine. The street culture always pursues and welcomes, but the doors of the church are open only on Sundays. Sad commentary. That's why we at St. John's work so hard to be a part of the community. Why we have, what, a thousand people here last week for vacation Bible school from the neighborhood, bringing children to hear about Jesus. Whether it be our work with foster care, whether it be our work in mission outside of the church, 
how important it is for the church to realize that people need to know Jesus. Too often the people in the community know what the church is against, not what they're for, and how it is that we need to be the people of God. Not afraid, not in in any way forced back, but rather reaching out with that tremendous love that God gives us. In one of Kinnaman's recent books, just published a couple years ago, he says this about today's youth. He said, today's teens think highly of Jesus, but half of all teens describe Jesus as loving and believe he offers hope and cares about people. The global impression of Jesus is that he is trustworthy, generous, wise, and peaceful. For many, Jesus is merciful. He stood up against wrongs, was compassionate, forgave those who wronged him, offered forgiveness, and cared for his friends. Then he goes on a little later and he says, today's youths say, I want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the broader culture that I live in. I want to help the church keep the priorities Jesus intended. I believe prayer makes a difference in the world. Prayer strengthens my relationship with God. In all of those statements, over 65% of all of the youth interviewed made those kinds of comments. See, there's good news. There's good news for the people of God because our youth are finding in Jesus a friend, a source of love and compassion. But then he goes on. Today's teens don't think as highly of Jesus' followers. It seems that teens are following the trend found in other generational groups. People think more highly of Jesus than they do of his father, followers. Although, the global, although globally the reputation of, G, of Christianity is fairly positive, it falls well short of what teens think of Jesus. 49% of teens say Jesus is loving. Only 31% say that his followers are loving. 16% of teens say Christians are judgmental, compared with only 4% who say Jesus is. 18% say Christians are hypocritical, while only 3% say Jesus is hypocritical. The challenge that, that Jesus gave to his disciples is, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves to tell people how much God loves them. And that same challenge is the one given to us today as the people of God. It hasn't changed from the prophets of the Old Testament to the people of 2023. That Jesus sends us out with the greatest message of all. We came this morning. We got up and came to church at 8.30 because we want to know how much God loves us and how much God, how much God knows we love him. We came because we want to love one another and to experience that kind of love among the people of God. And so it is. 
God's promise, Jesus says, I will never abandon you. I will empower you with the Spirit of God. So go. Go into the world. Go into the neighborhood. Go into the work. Go to wherever God takes us this week, empowered by the love of God, knowing that we have the greatest message the world has ever known. God so loved us. God so loves you. God so loves my neighbor. And may we be empowered to be like the disciples, emboldened to not be, not be intimidated by the world around us. And may God bless us as we go in the name of Jesus. Amen.